Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless as he talks to successful real estate professionals and asks them to share their best advice ever. From deal syndicators to wholesalers, flippers, property managers, pest inspectors, and everyone in between. It's the best ever advice and none of the fluff. Let's go. A quick word from our sponsor, The Door Devil. Homeowners spend hundreds on alarm systems each year, but rarely reinforce the weakest point on the home, the doors. Bad guys know this, and that's why kick-ins are so common. Simply adding door devils virtually eliminates the home security gap. Sleep better tonight. Reinforce your doors. Visit doordevil.com and enter best ever to get an exclusive 20% discount on your purchase. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Sharon Vornholt. Hi, Sharon. Hey, Joe. How are you? Doing well, and I'm really excited to have you on the show. Sharon is a full-time real estate investor. She's focused on wholesaling. She's been investing since 1998. She has a popular podcast called let's talk real estate investing she had a uh, home inspection business for over 17 years she's done hundreds of transactions uh, through you know real estate investing uh, primarily focused on wholesaling like I mentioned before Um, so with that being said Sharon can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more background on your experience and what you're doing now and what you're focused on now Sure, and uh, thanks for having me on today, Joe. I appreciate it. Um, As you said, I owned and operated a successful home inspection business for 17 years. Um, I opened that business in 1991, and along around 1998, I started uh, going to the local RIA meetings, and that's when I began investing. I just, after my first meeting, I was just really hooked, and so around uh, in January of 2008, I closed the home inspection business to focus on investing full-time. Now, I've been a buy-and-hold landlord. I've done rehabbing, and I like to tell people I'm kind of an accidental wholesaler. I didn't start out to be a wholesaler. It was really never in, in my plan at all, and I work um, a lot in the niches of probates and absentee owners. And can you explain a little bit more about probates and absentee owner absentee owners and what you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I work because I'm in Kentucky, so Kentucky's not a great big giant state. So I work with out of state absentee owners, and the reason is that I found that they need to be about three hours away from um, the house three, three and a half hours before it becomes a big enough of a pain in the butt to take care of. Now, if you're in Texas, you might draw a radius around and go out away from where you are and invest, you know, further away in your state. So that's kind of an individual decision. But um, I found in my case that working with in-state absentee owners, they could be your neighbor that just has a house two miles down the road. You know, they're not necessarily a motivated seller. I work really with kind of a tightly niche list. Probates, um, I love the niche of probates. Um, I like not being disrespectful, but I like to call probate investing, you know, that's the low-hanging fruit. And the reason is that uh, people, when they inherit a house, 
they almost never want the house. They only want one thing, and that's the cash sitting in the house. So they are among some of the most motivated sellers on the planet. Now, with these two strategies, you're going to have to do direct mail. I did direct mail marketing all the years. I had a home inspection business. It's a great way to build business. And it still is my number one source of leads today in my real estate business because it is you can get um, you can niche down really tightly to people that are going to be motivated sellers. So that's that's really um that's really what I do. And although I do get work with other types of sellers, you know, I get people that call me, I get people that kind of leads that come through my website. Those two um, specific niches uh, have fueled my business for years. With probate in particular, mm-hmm. what's the typical client that you work with? With probates? Um, well, you know, there's not really a, a typical client. I, I would say, well, I guess in a sense there is. Most people that are in Kentucky, you know, you're looking at a house that's I don't know. I don't know what they are where you are, but um, the median price of a house here sits around one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which means you know they we have a lot more expensive houses, but that's where it is. And I've found that people that have huge estates generally have done some type of estate planning first of all to where that house isn't going to end up in probate. So we're dealing with more um, what I would say median priced. Um, if if our if our price of home here average price is 150,000 then i'm probably looking at houses down as low as 50 60,000 dollars up to 300,000 those are the ones that will typically fall into the you know the probate uh, situation now within those houses they're going to fall in the houses in uh, that come up in the probate listings are going to generally fall in one of three categories they're going to be houses that are flat out going to go on the MLS. They're nice houses. You have on the other end of the spectrum, you have houses that I like to call dogs. Those are the ones that are in bad shape. They are maybe, maybe they're um, not, you know, a better word would be they haven't been updated in four decades, (laughs) but they're, they're houses that are going to need a lot of work. So when someone inherits those houses, those are ones that are going to be investor houses. Then there's the third category that kind of sits in the middle, and, and I kind of call those the, the maybes. They're the people that are maybe going to try to sell them themselves, or they're maybe going to put them on the MLS, and they may sell or not. So when I'm dealing with someone, and they'll call and they'll say, well, I got your I got your mail, but I've listed my house with XYZ Realtor, and I say, that's fine. You know, I think I think that's a good idea if you think you have a chance of selling it to, you know, to a retail buyer. But tell me a little bit about your house. And I try to get a feeling myself if I think the house is going to sell. And and what they may tell me is I have a really solid house and it has knotty pine cabinets and pink tile. (laughs) Well, you know, but it's solid. Everything's solid. They always use that word. You know, it's a well-built house and I just, I wish them luck and I ask them if I can keep them on my list. And they always say yes, because I tell people, you know, I'm, I hope your plan works. I hope you get it sold. But just in case it doesn't work out, I'd like to be your plan B. Is that okay with you? And they will always say yes. And I always ask them, too, if they sell the house, give me a call so I can take you off the mailing list because I don't want to pester you. So you have a perfect opportunity, even with the maybes. You know, now there's a now there's a better likelihood that the house will sell on the MLS. However, if you were looking back even three or four years ago when the market was a lot tighter, probably 
50, 70 percent of the people that listed their houses still had them a year or 18 months later. And they would call me back and say, you know, you know, that 60,000 you offered me for the house. And I would pull it up real quick in my database and I'd say, well, it was actually 50. But yes, I do remember. Okay, well, we'll take that now. So that that's kind of how that works. But uh, probates, they they almost never keep the house. And so you've got a motivated seller. Now, here's the thing with probates. You don't know exactly when they're going to get motivated because this is um, this is a hard time for most people. They've lost a loved one. And so um, when you're doing direct mail to them, you have to be very careful about the mail pieces you send them. And you have to be uh, you have to have a very helpful tone and you have to acknowledge the fact that now may not be the time that they're ready to sell. And uh, just let them know that you'll be checking back with them because a lot of probates, they don't even get to the point where they get the house cleaned out and they they are not mentally ready to sell for even maybe a year. That brings up an interesting question but first let me define probate just in case any of the best ever listeners are curious it's and i'm reading off of wikipedia right now Mm -hmm. the receipt of probate is the first step in the legal process of administering the estate of a deceased person resolving all claims and distributing the Mm -hmm. deceased person's property under a will so Mm -hmm. with that being said is is there a specific type of language that you use when you speak when you uh create your direct mail piece because i have homes in texas i live in new york city i'm on the list of -of out-of-state owners that Mm -hmm. wholesalers get and i receive uh i buy homes postcard once a week from somebody different Mm -hmm. Um, and they all look the same more or less so Mm -hmm. i'm wondering knowing that this is a probate where somebody uh, just lost a loved one, um, perhaps a loved one, uh, Mm -hmm. then is there a different angle that you take when you create the direct mail piece? Absolutely. And and to be clear, I never send anything but a white letter to probates. Uh, I use a white professional letter and a white business, you know, envelope, and and it's always hand addressed. That's really important. But yes, can you imagine if your, let's say, your mom died or somebody close to you died, and you got a postcard that said, you know, I understand you have a house in probate. Can you imagine how that person would feel? I hear all the time people complaining about that. Somebody sent me a postcard. How disrespectful is that? So my, I tell everybody, don't send a postcard and don't send a yellow letter. People hate getting those when they're in probates. These folks are, um, they've really got a mess on their hands usually. And, and your, your definition of probate, that definition is, is pretty much right. But probate is a process that people go through and they may or may not have a will. If they, if they have uh, property uh, if they have personal belongings, they, they're supposed to go through probate. Now, if you have a will, that's called testate. And if you um, if you die, and let's say let's say Joe Joe makes out his will and he names um, his wife or his whoever in the will. That if you name that person in the will, that's you know you die with a will. Oh, do we and, have, do we have to use my name for this? Well, no, no, no. To, let, 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 let's use uh, mystery person. Mystery, okay, mystery person. Okay, has uh, you know they're setting up their will, and that's really something that 
everyone should do, by the way, once you own pro- if you own property, you should, Joe, you should have a will that says, in case um, a meteorite hits you on the head and <laughs> no longer here, who gets your property? Once you have those things, you should have a will, even if you're 15. So, um, you 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 name and if you have a will you get the name who takes care of your of your estate your and that's all your uh your personal property which generally uh you know that that's all the things that can be moved and, and you have your property you know you have your property which is a fixed asset and then you have personal things jewelry and bonds and stocks and and all of those sorts of things so you get to choose who does that but now if you die without a will if if mystery man dies without a will, then guess who gets to decide? The court gets to decide. One of your relatives, and it may not be the one you would choose, will go to court and they will petition to be in charge of all your rental property and all your money you left in the bank and your jewelry. And that judge will, depending on state law, some states say, you know, here's the law. And I guess every state probably has some type of a law that says here's the – you know, here's the list in order that people can do this. But what I find a lot of times is it's not uh, the person who maybe should have been appointed to take care of the estate. They don't really care about it. They just want to cash out. So that's an important distinction. So if you're in the, in probate investing, the thing I always want to know when I'm uh, sending out direct mails, I want to know that I'm mailing it to the executor of this, the estate or the if there's no will – that person is called the administrator, that the administrator is appointed by the court. And both of these people are kind of interchangeably called the personal representative. And they may just call them all the executor, but legally you, you can only be an executor if you've been appointed by the deceased. And how do you get their contact information? Uh, well, that is the, the part that makes probate so n- lucrative and also a, a niche where a lot of people sort just throw up their hands and they throw in the towel early on. Every county, there are something over 3,300 counties in the United States, and every county has a different way of doing it. So you have to do a little detective work, and you have to find out in your county how you do it. You know, how do you get those leads? Now, in some areas, if you're really lucky, they'll just be published in the newspaper. They will have the name. You only need four pieces of information to work with probates, the name and address of the deceased and the name and address of the executor. Now, when when those listings come out, when you've been doing this for a while, you'll see an address like 720 Breckenridge Lane, and you'll know that's a nursing home. Um, you know, the person who's been going through these leads after a time. But that doesn't necessarily mean they don't have property. And when that happens, you've got to go on the, um, I go on the tax assessor site and look the person up by name. So, so that's the best case scenario. You can get a list somewhere. Now, I know some places in Texas and in other states, you can actually go online and the information is online. It's not that way in Kentucky. But I was uh, I had a student that was in Texas, and I don't remember what his county was. I want to say it was Harrison County. But we just Googled probates and the county, let's say it was Harrison County, Texas, and up popped a website that had most of the information. It had the executor's name and address, and it had the deceased. Now, you did have to look up the address of the deceased, which they could have been nicer and put the address of the deceased on there. But in some areas, you have to go to the courthouse. Um, Got it. There, 
There's no other way around it. There are also some services that sell probate leads. Very often, they're not actually really probate leads. They're obituary leads. And I tell people, don't do that. Don't take the name of the deceased and start mailing letters to their, you know, to their home without having with that you need the proper information and you need to go through the proper procedure but so that's the big thing is you've got to figure out in your county and i wish there was an answer i could tell you that this is the well the, it, because, because it's so fragmented it makes for more opportunity yeah it absolutely does now there are some companies that sell probate leads but you're generally going to pay about a couple bucks a lead they're very expensive and so I always tell people, do the, do the hard thing and find out if you can get them free because I'm lucky. I can get the leads free. So it just doesn't get any better than free. Based on your wholesaling experience mm-hmm. and your expertise in probate work, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best advice ever is to get a marketing plan and don't give up on your marketing. Now, here is what I think separates the people from that make it uh, from those that don't. And this strategy applies whether you are a wholesaler, uh, whether you are marketing for you know to for buy and hold houses, whether you are a rehabber. You're going to have to market, or in the case of a rehabber, you might work with a wholesaler. But you need a marketing plan, and you need to. Think of this as a strategy that's going to take time. What I see is that people will send out one, two, maybe even three or four pieces of mail in over a period of three or four months. And then they don't have a they, – they happen not to get a deal or maybe they get one deal and they say, this doesn't work, and they quit mailing. And I love those people because I am the guy who's the last man standing. You know, with direct mail, you have to mail every month. Pretty much every four, no more than about five weeks. Because, as I said before, with probates, you might be dealing with someone who mentally can't get the house cleaned out for a year. I buy a lot of probate properties around that year that year uh, mark. And they will tell me all the time, you know, I was getting a whole bunch of letters, but yours is the only one I'm getting now. So they remember my name. And they, they view me as being a real business person. And because I'm sending a professional-looking piece of mail that acknowledges, uh, you know, that um, I'll be there whenever they're ready and that I can help them, uh, you know, with the settling of the estate, they, they, have, um, they feel like they built a relationship with me. And they, they view me as being a real business as opposed to the, the person who sends the yellow letter, quite frankly. And, right. and I'm not a yellow letter fan. I got people that know me know that, but I... We'll qualify that by saying, I have a friend who works in the inner city uh, market in Philly. Now, yellow letters work great there. If she sent something like a professional-looking white letter in some of those neighborhoods, they'd probably think they were getting sued or arrested or something. They'd probably think it was a legal correspondence, and they would just real quick throw it in the dumpster. So um, you have to target your market. But the thing that I think that my best advice I could give anyone is that direct mail is a great source of leads. But you've got to look at it as a a strategy that's going to happen over time and Eighty-five percent of your deals now, not your phone calls, and you know, not the beginnings of the conversations, but eighty-five percent of your deals will come at or beyond that fifth mailing. So there is a real 
big payoff for staying in there and doing direct mail. And a lot of this you can you can you know automate and outsource. Same thing is true with absentee owners. I bought a house from a lady after three years, and people they just thought it was crazy when I would tell this story. And I said, well, let let me just backtrack a little bit. At the time, I was still doing letters to absentee owners, and now I do do postcards postcards to absentee owners. I said, you know, I have thirty six stamps. I have 36 pieces of paper and 36 envelopes, and let's see, I just made $12,000. So you tell me, was it worth it? Sure, it was worth it. (laughs) Because, you know, this particular story, the lady, she was in California, and she bought a house in Kentucky for her brother. Well, he lived there for a couple of years, and then he'd had a lot of problems, and he did what a lot of people do that are given something. He just decided he didn't want it anymore, and he just packed up and left. So she went from being not motivated at all to thinking, I'm going to be an out-of-state landlord. Well, she put tenants in there, and this was a nice house, by the way. And it took them about six or eight months to quit paying rent and completely trash the house. So by the time I got her, you know, I'd already been mailing to her for a long time um, uh, when she called me and said, I just want out. What will you give me for the house? So, you know, becoming with absentee owners, you probably know this. They may not be motivated at all, and then one day, you know, their world just dumps upside down, and they just want to be done. Sharon, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. Best ever book you've read? Well, I know this is cliche, but the the best ever book is the one everybody says, which is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it's because it completely changed my way of thinking about money. But I do have a favorite book that I just read, and it's called The Pumpkin Plan by Mike McCallowitz. That sounds delicious. Yes. And uh, the premise behind this book is the farmer that grows the giant pumpkin, the one giant pumpkin that you always see on the news that wins the prize. And what he does is he relates this to business, how how to plant the seeds and pick the one that's the winner and weed out all of the uh, weed out all of those that are you know, like the diseased ones, and then nurture your your big thing. And the way he relates that to business is that if you plant the right seeds and quit trying to be all things to all people, you know, figure out who your ideal customer is and then wow them to death, and they will tell their friends and vendors and people that are your, also your ideal customer. And in that way, you can build an awesome business that only has um, – the exact type of clients and customers that you want. So I love this book, and it is applicable to to real estate, but to any business. Best ever personal growth experience and what you've learned from it. Well, my personal growth experience, and and I think it's the one everyone should have, is to be a lifelong learner. Um, I think to succeed over, over the long term and over many years, you have to be a lifelong learner. What's a challenge in your life that you've overcome professionally? (laughs) <laughs> that my challenge was being a being a landlord um and I overcame that by the way um the um my plan early on was to rehab a house to take those funds and I I loved rehabbing by the way um take those funds and buy two rentals and I did that for some years and I went along with that plan and I just I I did not really have a property manager that was in the day when I decided to do it all myself and I looked up one day and I just said gosh I really hate being a landlord and my my friend said to me he said you know you really need at least 25 to 50 houses minimum 
to have a scalable rental business. And I said, well, I'm not doing that. And he said, well, you have a painful hobby. And I, in that moment, he gave me permission to just say, I don't want to be a landlord anymore. So <laughs> that's, that's what I did. Best ever success habit you practice. I think I think I'm always trying to become more organized and use my time better. It's it's really hard not get caught up in the what we like to call the shiny object syndrome. You know, I I'm busy, I do real estate, I do coaching, I have a blog, I do podcasts. So what I what I'm really trying to do is to really narrow my focus as far as my day and I'm I'm really working hard on that. But I I think that's probably helped me more than anything is to um, to to bring some organization into my life and to do some outsourcing. That's probably the that's the other thing that I think folks wait way too long to do is to outsource. Best ever deal you've done. Well, you know, if you talk to somebody in California, they're going to say, um, "Gosh, I made a million dollars, or I made two hundred thousand dollars off of every deal." But here in Kentucky, where we uh, you know, I only work in residential. I don't do commercial investing. Uh, probably here, if, if I could, probably my best deals have been in the wholesale fee twenty twenty five thousand dollars range because our median price of our home is so much lower. So that, uh, and I'm okay with that. You know, um, I'm kind of an accidental wholesaler. I never planned on being a wholesaler, but. Um, once the economy kind of uh, tanked in 2008, I decided to put rehabbing on hold for a while, and I found that, you know, I had a network, and wholesaling was incredibly easy for me since I was a good marketer. Best ever quote. Well, the one that I like, and, and I don't know who said this, and I may not have it exactly right, but it says something like, if you're willing to do what most people won't do for a while, you can have what most people won't have for the rest of your life. So Yeah, I love that one. I love it. Do do what's hard now so that you can have be on easy street later is the kind of the way I take my takeaway from that. And Sharon, what's the best ever place to reach you? Well, probably the best place is over at my blog. You can email me from there at the Louisville Gals Real Estate Blog dot com. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your wholesaling advice with the best ever listeners. Uh, the probate angle is fascinating and effective for you and uh you know learning more about that i think is really interesting and for anybody wanting to get involved in wholesaling and in particular probate the probate angle certainly reach out to sharon uh she's been doing it for a long time and she knows her stuff that and her podcast is really entertaining and her blogs uh, got a lot of good content on it so thank you so much for being on the show and we'll talk to you soon Thank you, Joe. I loved it. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then head to JoeFairless.com, where there are tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And if you want Joe to personally help you reach your goals, then go to the Work With Joe tab on JoeFairless.com and apply to, well, Work With Joe. 